Well, welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. It's great to have you with us. And we're speaking just ahead of the budget. It's going to be a really critical uh, budget coming up. A lot of tough choices and decisions need to be made. Now, it's a pleasure to welcome Kazi Mangaleli, who's the tax executive at ENS Africa, to the show today. Um, Kazi, thanks for joining us. And I just wanted to start with um, the... The, the revenue shortfall issue that we're sitting with um, at the budget. Do you think, um, and I know you're a corporate tax in the corporate tax uh, world, do you think that corporate taxes may be raised at 28% at the moment? Do you think that could go, and I have seen some, uh, some people commenting that it could have to go up to as high as 30% um, to eke out more revenue. What, what is your sense? Well, um, raising the corporate tax rate above 28%, in my view, would be dangerous. Um, firstly, the, the 28% is already high, um, higher than the global average of around 23%. Um, President Cyril Ramaphosa, if you recall, in his 2021 State of Nation Address on the 11th of February this year, he actually demonstrated, proudly so, how South Africa still remains an attractive investment des uh, destination for both local and offshore companies, despite the difficult economic circumstances. He spoke about that today we have actually received about $773 billion, and the target is $1.2 trillion. So we still have $427 billion to raise. So not only that a rise in the corporate tax rate would discourage foreign investment into South Africa, it would also trigger risk that South African companies would shift their tax residency to low-rate tax jurisdictions or exit South Africa completely to go and establish businesses in other jurisdictions. So a rise would neutralize the efforts that South Africa is making towards attracting foreign investment and retaining local business and working on securing additional foreign investment for economic recovery is a priority for South Africa. Now, it's interesting that you mention the, how high the corporate tax rate is, um, which is interesting, and obviously the crucial need to encourage investment and foreign investment and corporate activity to uh, broaden that base. But now, here's the question. Doesn't that mean, and reading between the lines of um, uh, the president's speech as well, that at some point we may need to reduce the corporate tax rate? Uh, if not now, then in the future. Is, is that the conversation that needs to be had? Mm-hmm. It's a very big possibility, um, and this is something that Minister Titomboeni alluded to in his 2020 budget speech. Yeah. He spoke of an intention to broaden the corporate income tax base to create additional revenue which could be used to reduce the corporate tax rate in the future to help South African businesses grow. So if one reduces the rate on the same tax base or a shrinking tax base, one reduces the total collection. So at this point in time, South Africa cannot afford to reduce the rate if there's no expansion of the yeah. South African tax base. So if you look at countries that have reduced their corporate tax rates, um, U.S. coming coming to mind, mm. they did so having put in place provisions that would expand the underlying tax base. So I guess the question is how Tito intends to broaden the South African tax base. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great point. And 
The challenge, of course, is at the moment is a very uh, limited tax base in light of COVID. So where else can they look to get this tax revenue uh, in the short term? Well, um, so, so the, the commodity prices are high, so there won't be surprise revenues from the mining space. But if you're asking me where at this point in time where they can actually get revenues, well, I read the report by the Tax Justice South Africa on their investigation of the illicit cigarettes market, <laughs> for yep. which Treasury is currently losing billions of rands. I mean, mm. estimated at $7 billion every year in uncollected excise revenue. Um, it's a pocket of 20. So if you take a pack of 20 and you say that is selling at 20 rand, so that and that would be 2 rand 61, and excise would be 17 rand 40. So for every packet that is produced by a producer, it would cost them 17.40, which is the excise, plus the cost of raw materials, production, and a profit margin. So for any packet that is selling at less than 20, the report says that it can only be because tax is actually being evaded. Anything mm -hmm. below 20 rand is financially unsustainable unless tax has not been paid. And their investigation shows packs of cigarettes, packs of 20 being sold at far less than 20 rand. So the burning of cigarettes during COVID, um, I mean, it, it, it magnified how entrenched this market is and further entrenched it. I looked at uh, a study that was done by UCT, and the study says that 93% of the smokers were able to buy in the black market. So forcing smokers to buy illegally during the ban, in a way, normalized the act of selling and buying illicit, you know, illicit, um, illicit cigarettes by both the retailers and the consumers. So, um, and you know, with the with you know with illicit illicit brands, um, you know, slashing their prices below the minimum amount that is collectible from a tax point of view, being this 17, 17 rand 40 that I actually spoke to, mm. spoke, spoke about earlier on. Um, so, you know, many, many smokers have decided to remain um, and, and, not, and not change back to the legal cigarettes, but carry on smoking <laughs> the illicit brands. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it, the time has come. You know, mm. for, for SARS to actually look into this. This is money that is not being collected, money that is badly needed. Um, it's time that we actually look into this. Yeah, no, wonderful That's a point. revenue that they could actually be getting right now, yes, which they're not. quite possible. And, and I think there is technology as well to track and trace and, you know, to, to switch this on and, and up the ante significantly because that would be a, an immediate win. And, um, you know, the Customs uh, Act has also recently been amended, which could facilitate facilitate, you know, the, the tracking of all of this. So, you know, there, there's a lot that can be done. And I agree. I think that those are areas that we need to look at short of, you know, limiting opportunities for growth, which is the problem. So let's target those. And I'm with you. Uh, just to get back to the broadening the tax base, I think it's such a powerful and important theme. Um, and now if you look at some of the recent developments from the tax side and the treasury side, there seems to be a clear strategy towards doing this. And it's, it's a you know, it's coming through. It's not really being being uh, spoken about too much, but it seems like there's a definite, um, you know, coherent strategy where they're applying their minds to the problem, and they, they there's close monitoring going on of market activity. And one of the areas that they have um, spotted, for instance, is that 
There's been an increase in unbundling uh, transactions. Maybe tell us a bit about the developments on the unbundling side and how the changes, the proposed changes to these transactions uh, could help uh, expand our tax base going forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, our tax rules in respect of unbinding transactions, they make provision for a tax deferral. It's not a tax exemption. And um, so what that means is that at the time that the transaction happens, the distribution of the unbundling sh- of the unbundled shares by the unbundling company to its shareholders at the unbinding company level, um, that transaction would be tax neutral and there also would not be any dividends tax at the level of the shareholders. Um, and then SARS would actually do this in anticipation that at some point in time when the shareholders sell the unbundled shares, that's the time that they would actually collect the tax. Yeah. So it becomes a challenge now if the unbundled shares are received by a person, a tax-exempt person, or someone like a non-resident that actually falls outside the South African tax net. Because what it means is that after the deferral, any gains from disposals or distributions would actually fall outside the tax net. Yes. Um, so prior to, to the changes that we have seen recently, there was an anti-avoidance measure which SARS had actually implemented to curb the abuse of distributing shares to on a tax-neutral basis to shareholders that actually fall outside the net. And what it said, it said that after the unbundling, 20% of the unbundled shares were held by persons who... Who, who are categorized as disqualified persons. So the non-resident that is that falls outside the South African tax net, the, that tax-exempt retirement. So if after the unbinding, 20% is actually held by that person, either, at an, you know, either individually or together with other connect disqualified person, then the tax deferral will not apply. And so the recent changes actually... You know, they constituted a, a bombshell to the market because what SARS has done, or Treasury has done, this time around is to actually make sure that whatever distribution of unbundled shares is made to a disqualified person who holds at least 5%, that distribution is not going to qualify for the tax deferral. Um so, so, so if you look at the test before, you, ha- you had to look at what, what is the position after the unbundling in relation to the unbundled shares. Now, what they're saying is that you need to look at the shareholding of the unbundling company. And if at that level there is a shareholder who is a disqualified person and that shareholder holds at least 5%, then to the extent that a distribution is made to that shareholder, the deferral doesn't actually work, doesn't doesn't apply. Mm. Um, and it's it if one looks at the you know the aggregate percentage of the market capitalization of the of the JSC listed companies, if you look at that aggregate, um, foreign shareholders and retirement funds, they actually hold a significant percentage. Yeah. Um, and then Treasury was worried about losing the potential tax that could actually come 
given that significant percentage. So now they've made sure that they definitely will collect that. Right. No, that sounds fabulous. I, I can imagine that, um, you know, if you're including the funds and uh, obviously foreign investors we know are a major component in our market, uh, despite mm -hmm. recent disinvestment, I mean, still proportionally huge, um, this could be, make significant inroads um, in broadening that base. So I think that's a that's a wonderful um, opportunity there. It sounds sounds interesting, and um, I think it'll be it'll be something to watch certainly um, going forward. Um, now we've also introduced a participation exemption, which exempts from income tax any foreign dividends declared by non-resident companies to a South African tax resident holding at least 10% of the equity shares and voting rights in these companies. Mm -hmm. um, what are the changes there to, to help broaden the base? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so it, it, it seems as though um, Treasury has also been observing the use of the participation exemption by the South Africa tax, tax resident shareholders because we've actually seen quite a a few um, provisions where the participation exemption is actually taken away. So, as an example, and um, if you look at a South African tax resident company that changes its tax residency to another tax jurisdiction, and mm -hmm. um, so and then the shares in that company are actually held by South African shareholders. So, if the South African shareholders dispose of those shares after the change in the tax residency, they could actually qualify for the exemption. Um, and a South African tax resident company that changes residency on the day before the residency changes, that company is deemed to have disposed of all of its assets at market value, and also it's deemed to have made an in-species distribution to shareholders. So if it's, uh, which is subject to withholding tax, a dividend withholding tax. Um, um, however, the imposition of the, the, the dividend withholding tax is also subject to applicable exemptions. So, so now what they've done, um, and upon monitoring the use of the participation exemption, so Treasury said that shareholders um, will be deemed to have disposed of the shares at market value on the day before the company ceases to be a South African tax resident. Because what you would have, you'd have a situation where the, the profits in the company, which would ordinarily um, constitute a dividend, those profits are actually not taxed. And then after the, um, after the, the change in the residency, you've got a foreign company the South African shareholder sells the shares pregnant with those profits and they exempt from capital gains tax. So those profits actually escape tax completely. I see. So they've actually <laughs> so, so they found a way to actually target that. Um, and then the second one is that they've also removed the dividend participation exemption for, for REITs. So that's real estate investment trust. Yes. Because um, so the REITs were actually using this exemption to shield other taxable other taxable income. Yeah. So that has been removed. Um, and then also you would have noted that from the 1st of Jan 2021, from an exchange control point of view, the loop structures have been relaxed. Um, and a loop structure is a structure that essentially allows residents to invest offshore 
but the offshore vehicle in turn invests in South African assets. But now Treasury has actually thought of possible tax planning opportunities that could arise from the utilization of the participation exemption and have actually made sure to include provisions where those exemptions will not apply. Yeah, no, that's a so wonderful, wonderful a list. Targeted, structured yeah. gathering of trends and a structured intention of looking at opportunities within the existing tax framework where SARS could actually, you know, Treasury could actually broaden the, the, the tax base. And what is, what is um, I'm going to say, interesting and also a little bit scary is that, you know, tax provisions which we thought were settled and taxpayers were comfortable with those provisions, all of a sudden now, you know, they might not be as tackled as we thought, as we thought they were. Yes. Because, for example, they're unbundling provisions, and then that, you know, the, they've been there for since 2008. And mm. then recently we had these changes. So yeah. it, is, it, is, it is a little bit scary. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the effects of this, of course, I mean, certainly interesting, positive developments, is that it, it could encourage uh, foreign investment as well, right? Which is critical to you know to expanding the economy. Yes. So I think. Yes, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, for instance, with um, entrepreneurs, um, you know, that are looking for for investment opportunities, uh, companies expanding offshore. I mean, all of this yes. ties in quite nicely, and and that's going to be a critical component to the recovery as well going forward. Hundred percent. I mean the the. So, so their participation exemptions will apply um, to the extent that the requirements are actually met. So yeah. these changes, what they're doing, they're, they're, they're seeking to discourage any abuse in utilizing that participation exemption. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's fabulous. And I think it's, it's, it's important because we're talking about, you know, how do we um, encourage you know this this growth and and broadening that base and i think that's important and then i mean just to move on to um to the budget itself uh, we have spoken before about the the wealth tax and and possible vat increases um but just from your perspective uh, what are the three things that you would like to see um in the budget or, or the main things that you would like to see in the budget that would be quite uh, quite important or, and positive and from your perspective Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think um, people have been speculating as to whether there could possibly be a VAT increase. Um, I mean, over the, the 30 years, we've only seen three VAT increases, and the last one being the 15% in April 2018. Um, the 15% the is low when compared globally, including Africa. But I mean, we find ourselves ourselves in such a precarious position that consumers are so heavily burdened already, worsened by the impact of COVID as things stand, we cannot afford a VET, um, a VET rate increase. So mm -hmm. <laughs> don't want to see a VET rate increase. Um, and also, you know, people have been speculating about whether there could possibly be a wealth tax. Um, a number of difficult questions arise when it comes to wealth tax. I mean, you know, at what level is this tax going to be packed? At what nature is it going to take? Is it going to be an asset duty or is it going to be, you know, on a progressive scale? 
yeah. um, you know, how difficult or how easy it is to implement it. And the basic question is, how do you define wealth? Who's wealthy versus someone who's not wealthy? And um, how do you establish the minimum threshold? Like, what about assets in the trust? What about those housing? You know, true holding structures. It requires a lot of data that needs to be gathered in relation mm-hmm. to direct ownership, capital income, and assets held via trust. So, so I don't anticipate that wealth tax is actually on the cards. Um, and there's also another thing that I'd like to see is, you know, relates to um, digital tax. Yeah. Um, because that's a potential revenue stream that that we definitely need to tap into. And then SARS has actually been talking about, um, you know, Treasury is talking about introducing sort of like a unilateral tax that works like a withholding tax, etc. That brings about a lot of complexities when one looks at how our double taxation agreements are structured because they actually allocate taxing rights to the source if there's some kind of permanent presence in the source. Uh, digitally, there's no permanent presence. So how do you actually deal with that? And um, I mean, recommendations have been have been have been made by the OECD, etc. But it'd just be great to see where South Africa is at in relation in relation to that, because that's definitely an opportunity that we need to to take advantage of. Wonderful, Kazi. Great chatting to you. Thanks very much for the time and the insights. Uh, really important points made. And now we have to wait for the budget, which is going to be a bit of a tightrope walk for the minister, no doubt. But I think uh, there are things happening that are fairly positive. Um, I think uh, from an industry perspective, we'll have to keep our wits about us as well. I think uh, from a professional perspective, um, you know, the advisory side, a lot of changes happening there. But I think the nub of your argument is, is a really interesting one, that Treasury is, you know, proactively gathering this data to establish trends of activity. And it's, it's demonstrating a structured intention of studying those trends and looking at opportunities of broadening the base. And that can only be positive. So thanks very much for the time. Great chatting. Cool. Thank you so much.